0: We are in a series on uh, basically, uh, it's about the kingdom of God, uh, but we've called it divine paradox, and that's because not a lot of people understand it. They understand uh, God a a little bit, but like to understand what what is the kingdom of God and what does that mean. And so, what I've been trying to communicate to you and try to tell our church over and over again is that the kingdom of God matters and that if you don't get it, you don't really get Jesus, and you don't understand what he said, and Jesus is a pretty important figure in Christianity, uh, I would think that all of us would agree with that, and so uh, what we uh, want to talk about, and what we want to communicate is what does it mean to live within the context of the kingdom of God, and what, why is it here, and, and basically all these sermons prior to this have really been setting this up, and then last week Um, I uh, started talking about um, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus uh, just comes on the scene and he begins to, to preach and he gives his manifesto. And I think too many of us who are Christians don't get that. We don't understand it. In it's fullness. And we don't understand what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. What we see is we see something that, that seems to be unattainable and something that can't really uh, happen. And so we, we uh, in some ways, say, well, I'm so thankful that Jesus went to the cross for me. I'm going to go on living my life in the way that I have. But really, that's not what Jesus had in mind. See, the cross is entrance into his kingdom. The cro- Jesus goes to the cross to enable you and I by faith to come into his kingdom. And then what happens after that is essentially that our life our, our life changes and it, it changes progressively we're prog- progressively becoming more like Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're instantly like Jesus. It just means that we are, uh, we, are, we are to begin acting and responding like Jesus in that way. And so that's what Jesus is explaining to us. And so in chapter five, what I've been talking about is this. Is, let, me, let me begin reading where we, we started this last week. It says, uh, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So this is Jesus' regular response. He, he sits down and he teaches his kids and uh, his, the people who are coming to him. He's teaching his uh, disciples. And so he says this. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he begins by saying that the the first thing that needs to happen is this level of dependence upon God. There is a dependence upon God that needs to be in their life that says this, that says, I'm... I'm, I'm poor in spirit. I, I, I'm, I can't get there on my own. I'm not rich in spirit. I'm not somebody who, who has everything figured out. I am somebody who cannot figure it out, and so I need something else. And so the very first thing that needs to happen in the life of someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ is there is a base-level dependence that they have in their life. This is what we talked about this, this last week. And then it says this. In verse four, uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So it's saying this: the the mourning that we have in our life, the the way that our our, our lives go, just with the sin and. And the stuff that we're dealing with, our sin and the sin that's committed against us and the atrocities in this world, the things that are taking place on a regular basis are over and over again. They bring about mourning in our lives. And so many times people can think and believe that my, my distress, the, the, the mourning that I'm going through, the things that I'm dealing with are just so tragic that I can't seem to get through this and I have nowhere to go with this. And Jesus is saying... That whether it's your sin or the sin of of other people or the sin within this world, like, it matters. The people who mourn will be comforted. The people who mourn will be comforted. They will be people who will receive this comfort from God. And we talked about how that happens. It happens through His Holy Spirit, the Comforter, but then it also happens through the church, Is one of the main reasons why you should be a part of the local body of believers. You should be somebody who's deeply embedded in there because God isn't saving just a person. He's saving a people for himself. Too many of us believe that yeah, I'm a Christian, but yet we have no community connection with people. We're not connected with people on a level that says that, like, I am involved in the community of believers. I am known uh, um, and I know other people. We, we, we think to ourselves that somehow I'm, I'm, I'm acting as though I'm a believer, and yet I'm completely void of this. And yet the body of Christ is intended to be a group of people that are gathering around you and who are assisting you and who are comforting you in your distress and in my distress and things like that. And so the uh, third thing that was said here is, that Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the meekness piece is this, is that The opposite of meekness is this self-willed, aggressive behavior. This is really modeled uh, in, in so many ways. And some of you may believe that I am anti one party or the other. And sometimes I like to pick on one, the political parties, and, and sometimes on the other. But both political parties uh, really exhibit this type of behavior. The opposite of meekness, self-willed, aggressive behavior that says, my way or the highway, all of you people should go away. All of you, sh- you people should should go somewhere else. But really what's happening is that this is sinful behavior. This is not... Uh, what should be exemplified by Christian people. There should be a meekness, which is power that is under control. It's power through the filter of humility. But too often, we're people that don't really get this. We don't understand it. We don't see it. And so we go out into our world, and what takes place is this, is that we come across as people who are dogmatic, irrational, and what have you, and people uh, are very much turned off by the gospel. That's not to say that they would, uh, that they would not disagree with our beliefs and our, and our actions still. But meekness certainly helps uh, a tremendous way. Um, and so the last thing that we talked about last week, just short review here, is verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So each one of these really is talking about, It's saying it's a dependence on God. I don't have it all together. I, I'm my mourning is not being comforted. I have this power, and I and I feel like I need to exert it. And the world needs to recognize my power or, or just go away, get out of my life. I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to quit. I'm going to whatever. But all of these are dependence on God that my power is not complete in and of itself. It is in and through God that I should be expressing any type of power through this filter of meekness. But then lastly, it's like hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That Christian people are people who are examining their lives. And they're saying, like, okay, what what's going on in my life? What's happening in the midst of who I am? Am, am I hungering? Do I have a desire for righteousness? It's, it's people that look at their life and they say, like, I want something more for me. Like, I see my sin I see my inability to overcome it sometimes. But at the very root of myself, I got to ask the question, do I hunger and do I thirst for a righteousness that is not my own? Like, it's, it's like I've got to have it. Like, God, I want to be right for, uh, with you. I mean, when you read the, the Psalms and you hear the psalmists say, like, I love your law. I just, I I love your law, God, and I I just want to be about it. Like, people who are about God's kingdom look at the laws of God. And they say, God, I want to do your will. I want to respond the way that you want me to respond. Because what we believe is this, is that his kingdom and his rule and his reign, when it is exerted in all of its fullness, when his laws are obeyed, that this is the greatest path towards human flourishing. And so while we look at our lives and we say, I lack these qualities, I lack this ability to do right sometimes, but in my heart of hearts, what's true of me and in, your, in the moments of your life where you're sitting there and you're saying, man, I just, I keep screwing up. Or I, I keep I keep just mourning the sin that that's going on in 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 life and in our world and, and everything, but do I really want that eradicated? Do I really want that to go? Or am I okay with it? Do I enjoy the pleasures of sin so much that I'm I've just forgotten that idea that God is holy and that he is righteous, and that he is just, and that as somebody who belongs to his kingdom, that I am somebody who should be longing for him and his rule and his reign in life. Are we those people? All of these things that I just said here, through verse 6, really are talking about dependence on God. So what does this mean? It it doesn't mean this, because I think you can look at this wrongly and say... If I do this, then I get that. If I do good, if I do the right thing, then God will accept me. That is not what this is saying. I know it may sound like that, but it is not saying, if you do good, then God will give you this. What it's saying is this. is It's saying those people who are in the kingdom, those people who are a part of the kingdom, are people who will respond in these ways ever increasingly. They will continue to respond in that way. And so what we're going to look at are three things. The response, the reaction, and the result. And and we're going to do this rather quickly. Um, At least that's my hope. Verse 7 says this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So the result, or I'm sorry, the response to the dependence on God, our response to, I'm, I'm dependent upon God. What's going to come out of my life personally? What's going to take place out of, out of me? If, like, if, I, if I really am hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if I, I, I really am longing for these things, then what's going to happen in my life? What's, what's going to bubble up? Well, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So again, it's not saying, okay, if you're merciful, then, you'll, then, then mercy will be applied to you. No, it's saying something else. It's saying those people who have a consistent attribute, something that goes on in their life, not just a single instance, well, I, you know I was merciful in this moment, I was merciful in that moment. No, it is a life of mercy. It's a life, a life of mercy. And you might say to yourself, like, I don't see how the idea of mercy really applies to my life, but mercy is used in every moment, in every interaction with the people that are around you. Mercy is used at a restaurant when you get poor service. Mercy is used in the midst of your marriage. Mercy is used in the midst of All types of interactions. People who are a part of the kingdom are people who are merciful. They are people who live this as a way of life. Mercy is a way of life for those who have experienced the mercy of God. And it shows who has actually depended upon God for his righteousness. It's when when I am merciful, when I'm responding in mercy on a regular basis, then it's showing that I am somebody who has received mercy. Uh, You should turn over with me to uh, Matthew 18. I was talking with a friend just recently, a very uh, really good friend uh, of mine doesn't go to this church, but what he said to me is he's got this problem. This person keeps coming after him keeps coming after him, keeps coming after him. And I resonate with his frustration. There's somebody who... I I won't tell all the details, but long story short, they were beginning to get a lawyer, and they were, it's just frustrating, and they wanted him to do something, and he was like, I I do not have to do this for them, and he's like, I tried to be nice, I tried to be whatever, but he's like, how many times do I have to do this before I finally let the hammer down, and I just smash this guy, because I have all the legal ability to do that. And I was saying, I didn't want to preach a sermon at him at, the, at that point. I thought, we'll do this later when we're, you know, over a beer or something like that. But he was, he, but this, this kind of answers this point. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times Seven. But what's Jesus saying? Like, when you get to uh, whatever that number is, I'm not big on math, whatever when you get to that number uh, on the 78th time, then you can finally just smash them. Now, Jesus is saying that the forgiveness that should be extended to people, the mercy that should be extended to people, should be ongoing. It can, it's continual. It's over and over again. Jesus is expounding here, What he said in the Beatitudes when he's saying, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He's expounding on that. And then he goes on to say this. Verse 23, I want you to make this connection. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So Jesus is expressly saying, The kingdom of heaven... Where God's rule and God's reign exist, where God is ruling in your life and in my life, when God is ruling, this is what it, it looks like. This is, this is what you need to understand about my kingdom, about what it looks like to forgive other people and what it looks like to give mercy. And he says this: um, can be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, uh, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, a lot of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. What's he asking for? Give me mercy. I mean, sir, I know that I owe this money, but give me mercy. Please give me mercy. And so, out, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him a much smaller debt, seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, "Pay what you owe!" Like ah, I mean, this guy went crazy, like lost his mind. He's like choking the guy, and he's saying, "I mean, look at the anger and the hatred." That's going on. This happens in our lives. When, when somebody offends us and we, we just say, you owed me respect. You owe me a great marriage. You owe me whatever. You owe me this. You owe me this. You owe me this. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven should be played out. Like this. This is, this is what it looks like. He said, uh, what verse was I on? Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He says the same thing to this guy that this guy had said to the master. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and when they went and reported to their master all that had taken place, then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? You see what Jesus just connected here? He just, he just displayed, he just gave us a story that directly relates to the Beatitudes. And he's, he's saying, like, the people that have had mercy shown to them are merciful towards other people. But let's just talk about that for a minute. What, why do we need to show mercy as Christian people? We're, in, in so many ways, what we believe is not popular To hold the line on sexual ethics of any kind, to hold the line on those things, is uh, considered out of date. It is considered to be wrong. To to respond as a believer in your business or in your place of work and say, I cannot do that. I will not write that in when that did not actually happen. What, what, what's, what's happening here is that people are going to come back and they are coming back and they're, they're hating you. They will hate you for doing what's right. How do, how do we respond? Like, I've been given incredible mercy. Do I respond in mercy? Do I respond mercifully? I've been forgiven of so much. But the person that looks at this and looks at it as a list and says, oh, you know what? I've accomplished everything that the Beatitudes have to say, and I'm, I'm, I'm in good with God. The only way that they can respond is in pride and arrogance, to say, how dare you come after me in that way? How dare you treat me this way? Because I have earned the respect. I have earned this. I am a good person. But the person who looks at this, this list, these rules that Jesus has for us in essence, and really they are blessings. The person who looks at that and says, I don't measure up. I need a righteousness that does not belong to me. I I don't have what it takes. And God is incredibly merciful to me as I make mistake after mistake in my life. And so therefore, he, He's not just merciful to me once, but He's merciful to me over and over and over and over again. They're new every morning. He's constantly loving, constantly aff- affectionate. His love is steadfast and never-ending for me in spite of the fact that I continually wrong him and misrepresent him, and he's merciful to me, and he calls me his son, he calls me his daughter. How, How can I go into the world and not express mercy to my culture? How can I not do that? Do you see, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven exists right here and right now. And God says, in my paradigm, in my world, in my kingdom, which my people live in, they do not go back to somebody else and say, You pay me what you owe. They reflect on how God has been merciful to them and they respond in kind and they give mercy. It's an incredible truth. It's an incredible truth that he brings to us. One of the uh, greatest examples, I think, in recent history uh, has to do with this, this shooting that happened in Charleston. June 17th, 2015. This guy, Dylan Roof, walks into a church. He's a white supremacist. Kills nine people. I think he injures three more. And what happened later is that the church members come out and they somehow, with such incredible sincerity, toward a white supremacist, come out and forgive him. And it, it, it just was astounding. And so I saw this and I was like, man, that's the gospel. But you know who else it communicated to? This forgiveness, this mercy, when something had been taken from them, it was racism. It, it I mean, it was hatred. It was, uh, it was brutality. It was, it was unthinkable what had taken place. And what happens? They forgive him, and this is this is what takes place from our culture. Uh, Abe Greenwald, senior editor of a publication called Commentary, writes this. He says, The late Christopher Hitchens formulated and forever repeated a superficially clever challenge to people of faith. He says this, Find one good or noble thing, he said, which cannot be accomplished without religion. Abe Greenwald goes on to say, The astonishing rejoinder to Hitchens comes now from the family members of those who were gunned down on Wednesday night in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, you want to see one thing that, that, that can't happen without religion? It's that. goes on to say, uh, Charles C.W. Hook uh, Cook, an atheist who writes for National Review, tweeted this, I am a non-Christian, and I must say, this is a remarkable advertisement for Christianity. Dude, God's kingdom, when it is expressed, God's kingdom, when it, when it is expressed in its fullness, what takes place? Phone's ringing. <laughs> I have a short attention span, I'm sorry. God's kingdom, when it is expressed in its fullness, when people see it and they go, that does not happen outside of this. That is not normal. This is something else. What we are here to do and to be a part of is to be revealers of God's kingdom, to reveal what it's like to live under his rule and his reign. It's not just that Jesus saved me. Yes, that's the most important part of entrance into the kingdom of God. It's what we glory in the cross of Christ and his resurrection. But we are, as a result, brought into his kingdom to be kingdom people who are thinking through, am I showing mercy to people that are not merciful to me? Verse eight: Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart. What what what's this idea of the pure in heart? Well, it's look at it as the difference between the pure in appearance. the 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 people who are pure in appearance, the people who are pure in appearance and who are supposed to be that, but not pure in heart, are what our culture calls hypocrites. It's, it, it is astounding how, how our world can easily locate those moments in our lives. And to say this does not agree with that. The, the purity is not there. It's not a part of that. But Jesus says that people uh, who are a part of his kingdom are people who will be not just pure in appearance, but they will be pure in heart. Now, what's this? What's this talking about? What's it talking about? Well, Leon Morris says this. Says there, it stands for the whole of our inner state, thought and will as well as emotions. It's not just a, a pure emotion. But in this passage, it's talking about more than that. In in these examples, in that time in history, the heart was the center, he says, as well as emotions. In a, a physiological sense, the seat of man's collective energies, the focus of personal life, the seat of rational as well as the emotional and volitional elements in human life, hence that wherein lies the moral and religious condition of the man. What, comes, what it comes down to is this, is that what's the condition of who you are, the state, the inner part of who you are? What, 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 where is your level of purity at? Are you somebody who desires to be pure in heart? You desire the righteousness of God in every aspect. Why? Because that is the center of your being. Out of that comes your motives, your intent. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. What this means is, it's, oh, I just, it just kind of slipped my mind. I just, you know, I just kind of reacted, no, those things come out of us. They're coming out of our heart. They're rooted in us. It comes from an impure heart. It comes from, like, this is who I am, and I need Jesus to change this in me. I need Jesus to redirect this in my life. And somebody who says, listen, I don't have what it takes. I don't have, what's it say in chapter 5, verse 1? I don't have the spirit to enable this. I don't have the willpower to make this happen in my life. I've got to have God and His will working and operating in my life in order for things to become different for me, in order for my heart to change. And so somebody who's about the kingdom of God, somebody who's a Christian, somebody who has trusted in Jesus Christ, that's all one thing, says this, I desire a pure heart. I desire righteousness. I desire justice. I desire purity. What, what's this mean? It becomes harder to laugh at things that God calls detestable. Our world would, would like you to believe that these things are funny or it's just entertainment or it's, 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 it's got great artistic value. But when, but when you are a part of God's kingdom under his rule and his reign, you have this deep and abiding desire for purity of heart. And when you see the seeds planted of impurity in your life, you begin to say, no, no. Jesus went to the cross to purify me from all unrighteousness. That's planting seeds of impurity in my life. That's, that's planting seeds of things that should not be there. You, we, we wonder why rape and murder and things of that nature are just continue to be extended. It, it's, it's getting worse in some cases. We're not getting better, we're getting worse. As our society becomes more free, they're actually more in bondage. We have more bondage because we have a a more permissive society. The seeds of impurity are there. We continue to plant them. And why do these young men go and rape these women? Well, you've told them that they should have whatever they want. You can take, go go out, it's yours for the taking. Oh, we didn't mean uh, women. We didn't mean that. But no, we we just created a sexual ethic that says this, that says whatever you want, you should have at any time, at any place. Purity of heart isn't just extended to that. It's extended to the believer who has a desire and a longing for purity. We can look at those things and we can say, yes, that's the ultimate end of those things. But ultimately, in my heart, is there purity? Meaning, I'm foregoing the things that lead me to impurity. I'm foregoing those things because I live in the kingdom of God, I live under His rule, I live under His reign. He went to the cross to enable it. He bled out and died so that I could become pure in God's eyes. And in reality, he has uh, called me just. He's imputed to me his righteousness. He has given me a righteousness that is not my own. Why would I soil that repeatedly? But guess what? Every single one of us has. And Jesus went to the cross for that sin too. And Jesus went to the cross for that sin too. Verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now each one of these descriptions, for they shall see God, they shall be called the sons of God. Each one of these responses, it all has to do with, these are descriptions of what it means to be a part of the kingdom. And each one of these uh, things. Are, are, it's not multiple choice. Uh, you know, I'll take a little bit of peacemaking. I'll, I'll be merciful. But the pure in heart, ah, not not so sure about that one. You know, I, I would like to be called a son of God. And I, I, I think that I would like maybe a couple of other things. But, not, you know, the uh, pure in heart, I'm not so sure about. It's not what this is. This is all a description of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. So he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, what are we talking about here? We're not talking about peacekeepers. Peacekeepers, UN peacekeepers, they go into a conflict, try to keep the sides separate. Like, we don't want these people killing these people anymore. They're doing a horrible job of that, by the way. But uh, they, they go in there, they try to make peace. And it doesn't take place. Jesus says, we're not talking about peacekeepers, we're talking about peacemakers. We're not talking about a peacekeeper in a marriage. We're not saying, hey, keep the peace, even though you know everything's jacked up in your marriage. Your husband's off, you know, messing around. Your wife's off, messing around. The the wheels are coming off this thing. We're not talking about peacekeepers. We're talking about peacemakers. In the midst of our our kids, uh, oftentimes we have been people that have said they're fighting, and so we just put them in separate uh areas of the house or the trailer at this point or the uh the you know on our uh uh, property and so you sit over there and you sit over there and it just keeps the peace for a little while until the timeout runs out and then they just get back together and it's like (laughs) you know just explodes again it's just insanity you know it just drives you crazy but we're okay um (laughs) we're fine we're fine um uh, losing our minds, and so we recently we were listening to this this couple, great Christian couple who uh, you know they have a podcast and it's fantastic. But they they were talking about like you know we, we don't do a thing where we just try to keep the peace. We we say well if you guys are fighting, you're going to be buddies for a day, and so uh, at different times we have uh, you know uh, you know you guys are fighting right now. You're saying mean words to each other. You guys need to hug. For five minutes you know I mean like do you know how hard that is like you got hug your sibling that you like just said is stupid or something and I mean they'll sit there and like Aah! you know cry the whole time it's so funny to watch it you should try it sometime um, i like to start doing that with adults too that'd be great um, and probably inappropriate as well but um, but uh, th- what what we did just recently is we had two kids that were fighting so okay you guys are buddies for a day Everywhere we go, you're sitting next to each other. You guys have to play together. You have to eat together. You, got, you have to be together. You're, you're going to do that until you learn to get along. We're not uh, uh, peacekeeping. We're peacemaking. You will get along in our home. Ultimately, you are family. You will act like family. That's the way that it's going to be because we're the boss, right? And so that's, we're making peace. What happens as a result, sometimes discord at first, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be a part of that. It doesn't matter. We're making peace between you. Ultimately, the end result will be worth the discomfort that you have right now. And, and lo and behold, it has worked recently. I'm sorry, this is like the last couple of days. But um, we'll see how long that lasts. I'll come out in another sermon. But in, in, in marriages, I think one of the things that I've seen uh, from, from guys, um, men, in, in marriages is, um, and this goes for both, both of the genders, but uh, the, the men I have seen sometimes who they, they try to keep peace, um, and so what they'll, they'll do is they, they may not say much when they have a frustration with something, and what it leads to is ultimately a, a, a blow-up, and so instead of making peace, they keep the peace until well normally i'm really fine and then all of a sudden i blow up well the problem is is that these blow-ups get pretty bad, right, and then uh, the, in, in the midst of all this, you guys don't have a relationship that's going well, and so instead of being somebody who is working to make peace, which, as I said, creates discord in the process, what they're doing is they're actually just making a point, so if you just start keeping the peace, like there's difficulty going on in your marriage, you say, I'm just going to keep the peace, and again, this goes for uh, wives and husbands, but uh, but uh, but if you say, I'm just going to keep the peace for a while, I'm going to keep the peace for a while, what you're doing is you're planting a seed of an explosion in your marriage later. It's just going to explode. And I've seen this happen in people's lives. I've seen the peacekeeper who was a, a, a wife, and she, she kept her mouth shut, she kept her mouth shut, she, she kept the peace, she kept the peace until one day she said, I'm done, it's over. And it was, it was completely over. Their marriage was done after I don't know how many years. It happens over and over and over again. But guys, uh, in your marriage, the reason, reason why I'm speaking to you specifically is that one of the things that you can do in your marriage is that you can be somebody who tills the soil. You're tilling the soil of your marriage and you're looking for areas of a lack of peace. And, and in some ways, it, yes, it is dealing with the things that you're frustrated with or, or, or really going to your wife and saying, I, I sense a tension between you and I in this area and so let's deal with that. So you're not just keeping the peace by keeping it covered, you're making peace. And the making peace process is essentially saying we are going to work through this until we get to the end of it. We're going to communicate about life until we get to the end of what's going on here, what's happening in this situation, is that we keep having little blow-ups here and there, and I, instead of being a peacekeeper, need to be a peacemaker in this situation, and what happens is ultimately good things begin to take place. But it's not just in our homes, but it's, it's in our, our jobs. It's in the areas where we are. It's making for peace in the midst of the relationships of, of the people that you have. Instead of going in on Facebook and dropping a bomb and saying, you know what, I think that all of us should, you know, Whatever, go and kill Republicans, or I I don't know what you would say, but I I think all of us should should, uh, support this or not support that. And you know that that's creating discord. Why would we be people who are creating discord on a regular basis? Why wouldn't we be somebody, uh, people who are sowing the seeds of peace? And saying that ultimately, my end and my desire and my life is not built on this political establishment. Ultimately, my end and my life is built on the establishment of Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace. It says in Ephesians chapter 2. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus comes into the world and what he does is he is brutalized so that peace could be made between us and God. Jesus is, is tortured so that you and I could, could have relative peace in life. Jesus is tortured so that we could have complete peace with God. Jesus is put under such strain and distress in order to enable us to have peace. And the kingdom of God expressed says that because Jesus is my peace, because he was brutalized for my sin, because he was brutalized because of everything that I've done, like I go into the world and I make peace. Living in the kingdom of God, it means that I am somebody who's bringing peace into my world. It's bringing peace to these people, not just in and of myself, but it's bringing peace uh, through Jesus Christ. It's showing someone how to have peace with God, how to have this ultimate satisfaction that says, I'm okay, finally, in Jesus Christ, something that people are consistently looking for. Our uh, response to the dependence that we have on God is so incredibly important. Have you responded to the dependence that you should have on God? To the dependence that you claim to have on God? Have you responded? Or are you walking around claiming to be a Christian being unmerciful, being somebody who who lacks purity, and being somebody who is not a peacemaker in, in our world, that shows that you have not seen what Jesus has done for you and the mercy that he's done for you. And you should fear that you should be in a place of saying, have I really experienced the grace of God if I can respond in this way? You have an unforgiving spirit towards people? You wronged me back then? I'll never let it go. I will always hold on to that bluff or or, or onto that, uh, that issue that I have with you. I will always hold on to it. You cannot... claim to be a believer, and persistently hold that viewpoint, not showing mercy. I'm not saying that you lose salvation. I'm saying this, have you ever received it in the first place? Do you understand the mercy of God? Did you understand how merciful that God has been to you? Have you ever received that in the first place? You, if you go on carrying a grudge, you go on ripping and tearing in your relationships, you go on and you treat your wife or you treat your husband any old way that you want, and you create discord, and you go on in and, and a lack of purity, and you go on with distorted motives and intents, and you go on and you go on, and yet you claim to be a believer. Have you ever received the mercy of God, is what I have to ask. Have you ever received what God has for you? But there's some of you it's not that I'm holding a grudge against them. It's that I'm holding a grudge against me. I'll never forgive myself. I'll never let it go. Someone sinned against you. And somehow you're holding it as though it's, it, it's you. It's you that did it. It's sin committed against you. And yet you're, you're never forgetting. Somehow I caused this. Or maybe you know, I did cause this, and I'll never let it go. I'll never allow myself to sense this mercy. I'll never do it. I'll never allow there to be peace between me and God, even though He Himself is our peace between us and God. And the question has to be, have you ever received the mercy of God? Have you, have you ever been somebody who has really said, I want, I need the mercy of God. Have mercy on me. I'll repay you. I'll repay you. Have you ever been somebody who's, who has come in and said, like, I don't have it. I'm poor in spirit. I don't have what it takes. And then sense. The master saying to you, I forgive you. All is forgiven. Come, in, come into the family. Come into the home. Be a fellow citizen. Be a part of this. See, whether you're holding a grudge against somebody, whether you're holding a grudge against yourself whether you refuse to make nice with other people or with yourself or with with your, your spouse, Jesus is showing us something and he's saying, people in my kingdom that are a part of this, that are under my rule and under my reign are people who are growing in these ways. I died on the cross and was resurrected so that that could be possible in their life. Why? Why would you negate that? Why would you do that? Receive Jesus Christ as Savior. He bled out for you. He gives it to you freely. There's nothing that you can do to receive it other than say, Yes, Jesus, I believe that you went to the cross for me, and I want these things. I don't have them, but I want them. And maybe it's not just that I want them, but I want to want them. I want to want to want these things in my life. I keep screwing up in Jesus. And we go to him and we say, Have mercy on me, I'll repay you. And Jesus says, Listen, it's all forgiven on the cross. Just live as a citizen of the kingdom. Just live this way. Jesus is so kind, He's so merciful, He's so forgiving. He's this benevolent king and he loves you beyond what you could ever imagine or even hope for. What Paul says in Ephesians, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. God wants you to know how much he loves you so much that you would respond as a citizen of the king, and say, I want to walk as a royal subject. I want to live under his rule and his reign. I want you to know this so much that it even surpasses your ability to know it. This is God's plea to you. I love you so much. I've brought you into my kingdom. Won't you respond with your life? Next week, we have to get to the, uh, the reaction of our world. Let's pray. So, Lord Jesus, I, I, I know that all of us, to some degree or another, have totally messed this up. Lord, and some of us who haven't messed it up are just sitting in pride and arrogance, and we think that we're religious people and really we have another thing coming. Because people who are of your kingdom are poor in spirit. There's a meekness, there's a humility about them. And so Lord, we're praying for that. We're praying that religious people would be cured of their religion and that they'd enter the kingdom as a citizen, as a son, as a daughter of the king. Lord, that people that have walked in with uh, with Knowing that they have obvious impurity in their life, even impurity that they don't want, that it just comes to them and they they don't want that, they they want this this purity and they're wondering why does this keep happening in this world. Lord, they shall be satisfied. This won't last forever. God, your grace and your mercy extends to them. Your grace and your mercy extends. Uh, to those who long to be right with you. They know that their, their thoughts and actions and desires are even out of kilter with who you are. And so, Lord, I pray for them. Lord, heal them. Let them know your love and your grace for them, your mercy. Allow them to be merciful towards others. We ask you for this. In your great name we pray, amen.